Mr. Nawani has literally clipped his way into the Millionaire's Club. And through the process, he had discovered the secrets of working less, earning more, retiring early, and becoming financially free. Before becoming a millionaire entrepreneur, Nawani was a man that wore two faces. He was the preacher's son, a licensed barber, and Tennessee State University honor roll student. To others, he was known as Chen, the high-level dope dealer who had built a tiny empire in Nashville. His career as a drug dealer came to an end when he was indicted by the federal government for a narcotics violation. Upon release, he applied for every job you could imagine, and no one was willing to give him a second chance because of his, of his felony record. He immediately resorted to cutting hair, arching eyebrows, doing manicures and pedicures for $3 per service. He suffered a lot of ridicule and bullying from performing the services on men and women at the federal halfway. He quickly grew tired of standing on his feet 12 hours each day servicing clients, so he wanted to get from where he was to where he wanted to be. Two years after he was released from federal prison, he became the youngest barber school owner in the country. Seven years after his release, he has literally clipped his way into the Millionaire's Club and has discovered the secrets of working less, earning more, retiring early, and becoming financially free. The Life After Prison would like to welcome you, Mr. Nawani. How are you? I'm doing great, and you? Bless, bless. Mike Curry, take it yeah, over. We would like to say thank you for sitting down with Life After Prison and telling your story, your experiences, your successes, and everything that come with it. So, Mr. Um, Nawani, can you, Chen, can you explain to the viewers um, a little about yourself? Uh, sure. Basically, you know, I grew up uh, in poverty in the hood, just like a lot of other Afro-American people. Um, although my mom was a school teacher, educator, uh, my stepdad was a Baptist minister. Uh, you would think that they had money, but we always robbed Peter to pay Paul. Um, was always a day late, a dollar short. You know, grew up with the government cheese, the powdered egg, you know, uh, powdered milk. And in our neighborhood, you know, it was drug infested, um, you know, drug dealers. And, you know, I just fell into that trap. Um, I saw them making a lot of money. Um, and I figured, you know, I could do it too. So, okay, so where, um, about me. So where are you from? Um, what part of the United States did you grow up in? So I grew, I grew up in uh, down south in Nashville, Tennessee. Barbering was that a natural skill that you had? Uh, no, I just went to barber school because my best friend had went to barber school right after high school, and he was a year ahead of me. Uh, we worked fast food restaurants back then. Minimum wage was three dollars and thirty-five cents an hour, so our checks was about sixty dollars a week. And when he graduated from high school, he went and worked at his dad's barber shop after he graduated from barber school, and he was making about a hundred dollars a day. So I decided I wanted to go to barber school, but you know, my mom being an educator, a graduate of Fisk University, and my uh, dad had a doctor, they stressed college. You either had to go to college in her house or you had to get out. So I knew I was going to college, but I asked her if I could go to barber school, they were like to make money off of college. And she said, well, no, I'm not paying for it. So my grandfather paid for it. And that was the only reason why I went to barber school. I never wanted to be a barber. Um, back, she was thinking that was beneath, you know, her, I guess, because, 
you know, a lot of older people stress education. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois stressed education. Booker T. Washington stressed um, a trade. But um, she soon found out, you know, that being a barber wasn't so bad. That you did some time in prison. What was the nature of your crime? Yep, it was conspiracy to cocaine. Uh, gun charges, aiding and abetting, trafficking cocaine. Okay. And um, when you when you did your federal time, what were some of the prisons that, that you was in? Well, I was only at the federal boot camp. I mean, my case was kind of different. Um, I didn't get caught with anything. My friends got caught with, it was about a million dollars worth of cocaine. Um, and I was the leader, but the case lasted for two years. And I was in college as a senior. You know, when they got busted, I was taking my midterm exam. So they all told on me. But when we went to federal court for two years straight, you know, I wore a suit. Um, I addressed people, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Because I wasn't brought up, you know, to disrespect our elders. But the guys that worked for me, they didn't look like me and they didn't talk like me. They were the total opposite. I mean, I just keep it 100 with you. Gold teeth tattoos, braids, and all of that. Well, I had zero tattoos, a short haircut, and I'm going in federal court looking like a schoolboy, and it was kind of hard for them to believe that I was running a multi-million dollar cocaine operation, you know, because I'm saying, no, it's not mine. I didn't get caught with it. So basically the guy that was going to testify and put me under, he looked like a drug dealer. I mean, in the eyes of Caucasian people, the whole courtroom was white. And so he got busted with another load of cocaine, so he couldn't testify. So the court started believing, well, maybe this dude is not who everybody's saying he is. So basically what they did, they sent me to a federal boot camp because they could not really um, find out. or They really didn't know who I really was. So God intervened. Okay. So I was in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that, yeah they, that's where the boot camp at, right? Yeah, it was a boot camp. It was originally built for white-collar criminals uh, who did insider trading, computer hackers, stuff like that. That place has soon been shut down, but the government built that for really Caucasians who stole a lot of money doing white-collar crimes, and they would just send them there and give them a slap on the wrist at a federal boot camp for six and a half months where they would do 17 hours hard labor and run 10 miles a day, and then they'd get to go back home. So that's where I got to go. So after your release, okay, so let's go back to while you was inside. Um, did anything traumatic happen while you was inside to either family or friends to make you change your way of thinking? No, nothing really traumatically happened, but I was just, you know, selling drugs to get money. You know, I was going to church every Sunday. I was just living a double life. I mean, my stepdad had a stroke and... Before I went to prison, my mom had a nervous breakdown, and my sister went to prison because of me. So I had a lot of traumatic things as, as far as that. But, you know, the, while I was there, it was crazy that these guys had graduated from Ivy League schools. They were self-made multimillionaires. So it was like an education that I could not have received on the outside unless I went to probably – Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or Carnegie Hall, somewhere like that. Okay, so so um, you was somewhat educated by the prisoners or those that you was around? 
Right, because these were rich, wealthy white men that if out in the free world, the average black person would not be privy to even be around these type of people or even learn this type of information unless they had a whole lot of money or went to like one of these Ivy League schools. And I could attest to that myself because when I was in a lower security prison in Massachusetts, federal prison, that it was a lot of people or, you know, shall I say, those that was incarcerated who had the high level of education and not only just education, but it was just so abroad with the different types of um, skills and talents that they had that they was willing to teach, you know, those from the inner city like myself what they knew. And, you know, I think that came from we all being in the same environment and we all being treated the same from the correctional officers or the prison administration. So, you know, once they seen that, because like you said, we wouldn't be privy to even be around these people, those people, at if they was on the streets, because for one, we would not know them. And for two, you know, it was just two different worlds. So, you know, they looked at us more like predators than people. Right. So let's talk about your transition from being incarcerated to coming home and how you established all that money. <laughs> okay. So basically, when I got out of prison, I had no money, no job, no driver's license, bad credit, a black man. I had all the cards, you know, against me, all the strikes. But when I got out of prison, before I got out, I wrote down on a manuscript and I learned how to write goals. So I wrote down, you know, I'm enjoying being a millionaire. I'm enjoying having a mansion. I'm enjoying retiring my mom. I'm enjoying graduating from college. You know, I'm enjoying opening this barber school. So I started talking and thinking and acting as if things already were. I was doing that while I was in prison. Affirmation. So, yeah, so I didn't even know how to write affirmation. See, most people say, I'm going to try to do this, so I'm going to do this. No, I am enjoying. So that was the first <laughs> thing I did. Yeah. So the average person, you know, God, whatever he spoke, it became. So another thing, I learned business by the Bible. And amen to I've that. only heard probably one, one. Huh? I said amen to that, brother. Yeah. I've only, I've only heard probably two or three ministers out of the whole United States teach the way that I learned business by the Bible. So when I came home, people thought I was crazy. But some of the things I did... I cut everybody off. So all the negative people, the women, I, I cut all that off. I didn't watch TV. Um, I sacrificed. I shopped at Goodwill, Walmart, rode the Martyr bus. So, um, and I started working. You know, although nobody would hire me, I hired myself. You know, if you have a talent, that's biblical. And cutting hell wasn't even my talent. And it's still not. It was just something I knew how to do to, to make some money. But... I didn't want to operate at that level because anytime that you exchange time for money, you're going to be broke and tired. But those were some of the things, major things that I did, you know, on a lower level that anybody can do. And, and, that, 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 and then, of course, I opened the school. You know, I, um, after I shopped at Goodwill, Walmart, did all that for about a, for two years, I had enough money to open up a business. So I opened up a business, you know, a barbershop, naturally, because that's what I knew. Then I opened a beeper place because that was something that was popular back then, so it was easy to make money. 
But then I said, I'm going to do the school. So I took all the money that I had, about $20,000 saved, got a little raggedy building in the hood, uh, read the rules and regulations, connected with Miss Velma. She was an older, rich white lady who taught people how to open schools. So she mentored me. You know, you got to get a mentor, a coach, a plug or whatever. You know, like a dope dealer that has no money, all he needs is a plug. He hooks up with a kingpin, he goes to the top. A broke regular person out here in the streets, if you find a mentor that's proven, connect with them. Same concept. So um, I was able to get to school and work that, and then I got accredited three years later, And meaning you could get government funding. Now, I'm a convicted felon on federal parole, and I'm accredited, and the government's paying me all this money. So every month I'm going out to the federal building, showing them my you know, receipts, my record, and the government is giving me all this money. And I'm training these students, mainly the ones getting out of prison who was just like myself. That was my target market. So that's kind of the beginning of the journey. Wow. Yeah, and I, you know, and that's that's a great journey. Just coming home, you know, like like I always teach and preach to people that you know you gotta have goals because if you don't have no goals, and then your goals is more like a guide, and if you don't got no guide. And then you don't know which direction to drive in. So you just making circles, making circles around yourself. And that's time consuming. So you got to have gold. You got to be goal orientated. And you got to also know what to do once you obtain them goals. Like you, you came home, you was goal orientated. You know, you spoke into existence how you enjoy being a millionaire or how you enjoy having money or what you're doing with it before you had it. And it was um, a, a person that I was incarcerated with that was teaching me that myself. And I was to be like, I used to look at him like, man, this dude's crazy, man. This this dude is telling me like, you know, he we used to be in a cell. He'd be like, shout, I love being a millionaire. And I used to be like, man, I'm not even a thousandaire yet. So it was more of, Claiming it. Claiming it, you know, and, and so now when I'm doing the things that I'm doing and, you know, life treating me the way it's supposed to treat me, I can see why he was teaching that to me. And and I want to ask you, what what in the Bible, you said you, you learned a lot of your, your business um, fundamentals from the Bible. I'm a godly woman myself, so... And I always try to incorporate something, some piece of righteousness into my shows. What can you say to the people out there how, about the importance of building that foundation with the Most High and and, and really understanding the Bible? Because I think a lot of people um, are driven away by, just like you said, there was only a certain amount of preachers who spoke to you and... And I and I'm a strong person to believe that you really have to build a relationship with the most high yourself and get into your word for yourself. But what what was it that really helped you progress in terms of the Bible? Well Well, I mean, one, just knowing things, I mean, I didn't know, you know, people said faith and prayer, you know, the Bible talks about faith and prayer about five hundred times. They talk about <laughs> money over two thousand times. You know, you would think faith and prayer answers the answer to everything, but money is the answer to all things. I mean, that's um, in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 10 19. I mean, we can go to Genesis, talk about the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was fed by four different rivers. 
So what does that mean? Well, one brook dried up, it got fed by three other rivers. So we need about at least four different streams of income. So if you get fired from your job and you ain't got no money, that's your fault. You're not even following Genesis having three other streams. You know, most people have a job. And what do they do when they get off work? They go home and do nothing. Sit on the couch, gossip, stay on the phone or whatever. No, it's 24 hours in a day. You can sleep when you go to heaven. So when you get off that eight-hour job, do something else to fuel your dream for another eight hours. Now that's 16 hours. You still got eight hours left. You, you don't need to sleep that much. Even if you slept eight hours, you still could progress. Um, Luke 6 and 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shake together, run it over. Whatever your gift or talent is, give it to the world. Give it away for free. Just, just give it away. If you teach enough people how to do something, whatever it is you're great at, for free, they're going to go tell everybody else, and then people are going to start wanting to pay you for that. Sing for free. Cook for free. Give away free cookies if that's what you do, famous famous. Play tennis for free. Box for free, Floyd Mayweather. All these people that you see at the top, they were doing that for free. Preach for free. T.D. Jakes, he used to preach to the birds and the squirrels in the woods. So give. Use that biblical principle. But a lot of times we don't want to give people that. Oh, I'm not getting paid. I'm not going to do it. No, plant the seed and water. It, it, it's not harvest time. It's planting time. If you plant enough seeds and water it, and partner people, then you'll reap the fruit forever. So, I mean, I could go on and on about biblical principles. I mean, even operating at the highest level of wealth. I mean, using your mouth. If you use your muscles, you're operating at the lowest level. That's slave mentality. Exchanging time for money. Then the, the second level of wealth, you're managing people. It's like you got a barbershop, now you manage them. You're managing a restaurant. You're still broke and you're tired now because you got to manage all of these ninjas, these different attitudes with a third level. You don't hit levels of wealth until you hit the third or fourth level. The third level of wealth is making money with your mouth. Using mm -hmm. your mouth, TDJ, uh, Denzel Washington, Jay-Z, they make money with their mouth. You could be a barber and become a multi-millionaire. All I did was instead of working behind a chair using my muscles, I started using my mouth, teaching people how to cut. You can make more money by teaching the world how to do something than, than, than showing them with your muscle and then, then the fourth of your imagination. Whatever the mind can conceive, the body can achieve. I mean, you got to start thinking on a high level so you can imagine something and don't know how to do it. But, but God has put somebody else on this earth that knows how to do it. A lot of things I've imagined, but I can't do it. Don't know how to do it. So I'll pay somebody else to do it. So now you made the money, your money becomes your slave, and it starts working for you. So we got to start using our mouth to make more money. Our mind, the message. So it's the third level of wealth. So there's four levels of wealth. And once we learn how to operate in those levels, then, you know, you can either be grandma in the kitchen cooking food. No, teach people how to cook the food. Absolutely. And, and that's deep. That's deep. So what were some of the principles you learned while you was inside a prison that you carried out outside and, and and that, you know, was that you accredited towards your path of success? Well, some of the principles were reading, you know, reading readers are leaders. They they told they told me things to read, you know, the signs of getting rich by Wallace Waddles, um, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Uh, the Greatest Sales on Augment Dingo, um, Dale Carnegie books, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I just got exposed to different materials, things that I should read. Because once you start reading different things, your mind is going to expand. You know, it's going to be like an old pair of, of drawers that are big old 
500-pound person puts down once it's stretched, it never goes back to the same. So those are some of the things that I learned of being around the right people. You know, where you're the only being around being the brokest person and the dumbest person in your circle instead of trying to be the smartest. So, I mean, just basic principles and staying ahead. You know, you get around people so you can stay ahead. You know, this Internet and a lot of things that happen, a lot of times we're the last to learn. You know, how many black people you know doing crypto and things that are now? Imagine if we knew about that years ago. Well, if we was in the right circles, we could learn that. You know, we could go to a mastermind and, and get in those rooms. And when it comes, we're already there. We've already been doing it. So, you know, the early bird is catch the worm. And you're right about that. And you need and, to read, people. He said, "Yeah, I mean, leaders are readers. They are, you know. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of the books that he mentioned were some of the books that my mentors passed on to me. So, you know, once I've read, you know, um, certain books, you know, it just enhanced my level of intelligence. And it also excited me to come home. It excited me to wait my turn to come home and just implement the strategies that I read about. So, and, and like you said, leaders are readers. And, and, and um, them books, them books is so, um, was so influential within my growth and development that, you know, everyone should read it. Everyone should read it. But you should also have a mentor who know the book that could break it down to you and for you. If you ain't able to, Break it down yourself. Read that Bible. That's what that's that's my favorite book. I ain't lying. Just like just like you was explaining, like you have to really be you have to really be somebody who could take things, take words, and see the the parables and the metaphors and 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 apply them to life. Well, you know, it's all about. When you're reading that Bible, make right? make it understand to be understood, and not not just with the Bible, because you got other no, you books. Got other you got books, other but books, I'm about what I'm but, about. but you got other books that's able to give you uh, um, a significant message that could help you grow as a person. Yeah, there's there's definitely um, self care, more self care that needs to be taking place in everyone's lives, like separating yourself from people who are just negative learning to be alone and and doing things to improve your own self. So what are some of the things that, that you currently doing as we speak today? Well, I mean, I'm helping other barbers and stylists and nail tech open schools, become accredited, and get government money. Um, I'm helping a lot of them get online so they don't get left behind. Um, so that's mainly what I'm doing, you know, using the social media and stuff like that. Um, that that's what I'm doing currently because the world has moved, you know, toward that. So I usually stay with the trend. And, and of course, you know, telling them to feed their spirit. You know, she talked a lot about reading the Bible. I mean, that's the foundation. You, 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 if you don't have a strong foundation, everything else is going to fall apart. Because even on your way to get the money, even become a millionaire, you're going to have to become another person. And in order to become a, that other person, you're going to have to go through a transformation 
So you're going to have to have that strong foundation with God because you're going to go through hell. And you're going to have to be able to feed your spirit and starve your problem. Because if not, you're not going to make it. You're going to quit. A lot of people are going to get there because they quit. Another thing that's very important, you got to focus on one thing and become the best. See, people want to deal with specialists. And then we we chasing too many shiny objects when all you got to do is focus on that one thing and be, master it. That's all I've done. I've mastered how to open schools. And people all over the world, the United States, pay me to teach them and show them what I used to do and teach people for free. And I agree with that. And I, and I think that that's a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs who are stepping into the to the business like they're so talented and gifted in so many areas and they just want to do everything and then they have the issues with trusting others and delegating responsibilities so what you're saying is absolutely correct my mentor shout out to swan he's one of my mentors shout out to lara she's another one they always stress the importance of first having that foundation with the lord and second focusing you know what i mean maintaining that balance making time for yourself like you mentioned earlier and also focusing on one thing you can't be the master of everything you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you have a bunch of strong weaknesses i mean people think that they good all this what are you great at so you babe, people think they can do all this and that but no not even the greatest athletes most of them cannot do everything they, they master one thing. Every rich, successful person that you can think of and name, one thing made them rich. Now, they're doing a plethora of other things now, but one, I mean, Floyd Mayweather, what made them rich? Boxing. Serena Williams. Tennis. Tiger Woods. Golf. <laughs> See, I, yeah. I, I can name, you can name, we could go on and on forever. One thing got them to the promised land. Now they branched out and they're doing a thousand other things. Their money is making them a thousand different ways, making them money. But one thing, what if they was what if they was working on all of these other things? They wouldn't get there. Right. So master that one thing. Yeah, and yeah, and I, I agree with that. And um, your transition from prison. How how did your parents feel about all the successes that came your way? after you, you left your um, past life alone. You know, I know your mom's was your number one fan. I, I know she loving it or loved it. So how, how you know, how did you feel once you succeeded and seen a smile on your mother's face? Well, when I got out of prison, my mom wanted me to do basically one thing. She wanted me to finish college and stay out of trouble. I needed 42 hours to graduate. The first thing that I did when I got out of prison, I enrolled back in college and took 42 hours in one year and graduated and gave my mom that diploma. And at my graduation at Tennessee State University, I handed her this, the diploma, and she just broke down and cried, but with tears of joy. And it's st their diploma is still up in her house, you know, where we live now. Um, and then when I bought her that 10,000 square foot mansion, because as a kid, my mom would take her last $20 and pay for me, my brother, sister, and her, and drive to the rich white neighborhood to the parade of homes where you got to take your shoes off and walk around in these mansions just to look at them. So when I took her out of that house and gave her that key, 
and she just broke down and Aww. said she never thought that she could live like this. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, and just being able to just give her her flowers while she's here. So, you know, she has to pinch herself sometimes. I mean, I videotaped her two years ago because we used to pay a dollar every year to the uh, to the St. Jude Hospital to try to win a mansion. And um, she was talking about that because they sent a postcard to the house. And she was just talking about how good God is. Yeah, and how good you are, you know. And and you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's all about giving people the flowers while they're still here. And you know, with the life after prison, you know, we're gonna give you your flowers and 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 thank you for coming to the show and sitting down and telling your story. And would you like to leave your contact information for those who? who is willing to get in contact with you, because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of barbers that's will to opening up, have hopes and dreams of opening up their own school someday, somehow, and and whatever else you may be able to your offer. contact information for the viewers. Uh, sure, contact information is simple. Millionaire Barber on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Google is millionairebarber.com. 